You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello and welcome to episode 423 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined by Mr. Seth Miller. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? Good. Foz, Foz is at brunch, so he won't be joining us. But also, he went to the gym. No, well, he went to the gym and then brunch, because yeah. that's the way you do things. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'll actually see him in person next week. He'll be coming through my neck of the woods. So Nice. Might get a little bonus content in there sometime. Yeah. Um, got some follow-up from last week. Uh, the AA stats, what about them? JT, I, when we talked about him last week, I didn't remember where I saw him as they throw, rolled through our, my Twitter feeds, and so... Uh, was reminded they came from JT Genter, and so just want to say thanks. It's always interesting stuff. He also mentioned um, we had talked about you know the number of miles flown and this and that, and the number of awards, and that it. He pointed out that the redemptions included the mileage redemptions included upgrades and okay. only AA medal, not partner. So it's not exactly a thousand miles per award, which makes some sense. But um, I still maintain that it's mostly it's close order and domestic. I, I don't think upgrades or uh, partner awards represent a bulk of the redemptions by any stretch. Do you, I mean, you guys talked about this on the show last week, but do you like? Do you think that the airline finds that interesting, or is it like the sweet spot for them? Like they're kind of happy. Like are they kind of happy that that people are redeeming for short domestic routes? I would assume so. Yeah. Um, cost them what those rates, right? The one thing we don't have is, uh, you know, how many are redeeming at a premium rate? Yeah, yeah. That's what would really make them happy. Right, but right. Remember, airline the airlines control the value, so they're not. In theory, they're not offering seats up at a rate that they aren't happy with. Yeah, true, true. Um, and then someone pointed out that we had a Delta Express Club at JFK. Yeah, um, we talked about those a few weeks ago, just as an example of another one that exists. So yay. <laughs> yeah, I have the. I mean, Given the Delta Lounge situation at JFK is typically the one that gets the cool images online of here's a forty five minute wait to get in a lounge. Why are all these people still standing here? Yeah. Uh, I guess having the other option is nice, but you know, back again to does it matter? <laughs> like, do you, why why would you stand in that line? Yeah, no, that's that's great. I think I think that that it's I I don't know if I stand if I stood there for forty five minutes and I uh, was ready to get I just want something to eat. Yeah, the the express <laughs> express lounge wouldn't be too bad. And it was Adventure Animal on uh, Twitter. Oh yeah, it sent that to us. So it's very different in person, by the way, from his pictures on the plane. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, uh, let's talk about some new topics. Lufthansa, uh, new Allegris premium cabins, and Swiss is doing this as well. Yeah, so we talked about the Qantas cabins last week uh, with John Walton. We were actually hoping to have him back on this week uh, to talk about the Lufthansa ones because it's a nice sort of bookend in comparison. Uh, he's unfortunately out sick, so uh, we lost that, but... Lufthansa officially unveiled their new Allegra seats. They had teased a few pictures a couple months ago, I think back in October, and showed off their new first-class suite, and it looked nice. The uh, new version, now there's two first-class designs. One is the sort of outboard window seats, which is high wall, big seat, big screen, goes to a flat bed, etc. The center pair on board is actually a double seat. Oh, interesting. And Unlike this one is like the first of many things that I find super interesting about the their whole approach. Unlike say uh, was it Singapore suites where you sort of put down the divider or Q suites where you put down a divider and it can become a double seat. 
Mm-hmm. This is built as a double seat. Like they recline separately, but there's no divider in between. There's a single entrance. So that's weird. How do you sell that? Does it, is it only the two seats? Like you can only buy the two seats? If someone buys one, do you, like if you go, if it's called a four seat cabin, it's a one, two, one layout, but called a four seat cabin, there's only one row. Do you sell the third seat or do you hold on and hope you get the fourth? Like yeah. someone who wants to buy the pair. If the person buys the third seat, do they get the double? Like there's all sorts of weird about this one that logistically, I find this whole, I find the whole Allegra's concept situation very, very confusing. It would be really strange to buy the last seat and be like, oh, sir, please enter behind this other gentleman in front of you. And you guys can spoon. Yes, yes please lay down with Pat from accounting. This will be wonderful. Like, <laughs> it just, it, nothing about it, not nothing, but very little about it makes sense. Now, that said, presumably, Lufthansa has some data that says first class is being sold more to leisure than business. Mm-hmm. Right? That's why you would do this, which I can understand. You sell business to business and leisure. The super premium wants the first class. Yes. For the limited number of seats they sell. Um, I can almost believe that. But yeah, it's a crazy situation there. And Swiss is doing this as well. So they're, redu- they're all reducing to one row? And I, I was making up the one row number. Um, oh, okay. Sorry, just to, to sort of make the numbers sound right. Um, yeah, yeah. I would be two rows. Yeah, it would be variable depending on the plane and, and, and. Yeah, yeah. Um, Swiss is doing very similar seats. They put, you know, Swiss design touches on them, but basically it's the same stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, okay. I was going to say, on top of this, Lufthansa Group is adding A350 1000s, 10 of them. Oh, yeah. They've, they've ordered a bunch more products. I want to talk about business class too, though. Oh, okay. Let's go back. Sorry. I'm, I apologize. <laughs> um, so the two first class seats, suites, whatever, is has some complications. Lufthansa in the press release marketed seven different types of business class seats in the Allegra's cabin. <laughs> seven. And so the center pair at the front is mm-hmm. at the bulkhead is going to have additional space, additional foot, like wider footwell, like bigger TVs, etc. They've also described longer bed as an option. The extra privacy window seat which is basically what we not what we would typically just call a window seat. Yep. Um, extra privacy window seat with a bassinet. Uh, which what are the other? Did I say extra long bed already? I'm you did. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, it's just bizarre. There's uh the last row is a double in the middle that is supposed to be better for couples traveling, and they describe it as a dual reclining surface, but there's still a giant like console in between. Uh, a throne seat which is you know that's we've since like the 2019 or something right but this was the one that was supposed to launch on the triple seven x many years ago yep they, they showed that giant sort of central throne seat that's designed for additional space for work and relaxation um it's just and i got the list here uh extra work to the throne window bassinet center pair oh and then regular seats yeah, you know, regular seats is also one of the options. It's, it's just bizarre. Um, weird bits. The throne seat like alternates which side you enter from, which is good to keep like aisle traffic down, I guess. But you know, when you get on board and they say, "Oh, what are you in?" Like, "Oh, four G, four G, and six G are gonna like one goes to one aisle, one goes to the other, and a flight attendant's gonna remember that." Like, I don't know. 
So, I mean, are these all differentiated by price? Is that the goal? Well, that's hard to say. We don't know. I can imagine Lufthansa tries to sell some of them with, you know, seat assignment upcharges. Yeah. The the Lufthansa group has plenty of experience doing that with the old Swiss business throne seats, for example. Yep. So, uh, from an operations and sort of IT world perspective, they know how to do it. And maybe because of that experience, they'll be able to do it operationally. But that was sort of just one option. This is seven. And... But I can't imagine they charge extra for the bassinet. Let's give them some credit and assume they don't do that. Yep. But, oh, you paid extra for a window seat and you didn't get it, and but you got the throne seat, so we aren't going to refund you, but I want a refund because I wanted the window, and that's what I paid for it. But no, because this one also costs extra. Like, I can see a lot of challenges there. Um, yeah, they're kind of like, they're kind of pushing themselves into a gray area. Right. Yeah. With, with with what's in the contract of carriage and what they have to like guarantee and, and then charging someone for it. Yeah. And to be fair, there's no guarantee that they charge. Right. Yeah. They could just be, make, be talking about how cool this all is. We'll have to see how it actually plays out. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they seem to be building up a whole lot of massive potential. I, I you know, this is a, it's an interesting topic, like the whole paying to choose your seat in business class. Like if you're buying a six thousand dollar flight and then. You're being charged two hundred bucks to char- to pick a seat on on two segments, like the outbound and the return. Yeah, to me that just seems that, that's like the definition of nickel and diming. <laughs> and it, British Airways does it. Qatar does it. Yeah, if you buy their lowest, yeah, yeah, JetBlue only does it for the Mint Studio, right? So that that's I I can almost see justifying it when you have an actual different product. Yeah. Like charging people for aisle versus window and whatever, and NBA differentiates on premium economy. Like the middle seats cost less, I, but not in business. Maybe they do in business because there's middle seats in BA business still um, on the older planes. I don't know. It, it's. I agree with you. I think it's. It detracts from the experience from the get go. Yeah, I think is how I would describe it. Right, like you start off with, oh, it's just, I'm having this premium experience. Except I have to pay extra for a little bit, and and and. Yeah, yeah, and I think it, I think it comes down to like another trend that I've seen as well, like airlines hiding fare classes. So they they define it, you know, they have their own name for a certain bucket of fares. Um, and so like Qatar has, because I've been looking at Qatar fares, uh, they have like their business light or whatever, and that's the one where you have to pay to choose a seat and you don't get lounge access and yada yada yada. Well, they make that very clear when you're buying the ticket. But they don't tell you what fare class it actually is, um, and nowhere in the process do you see that. So you have to like go look it up. Like some, you have to go do a Google search. Like what is this map to? Um, and for most people, I don't, they're not gonna go look it up. It doesn't matter to them. But if you're trying to maximize, min max, you know, your spend versus earnings or whatever, you're playing the game. It's, right. They're they're intentionally trying to avoid you knowing. And and I think it's more common too. I've seen it on Alaska now. I've seen it on Lufthansa hiding some of the stuff. Um, it's, it, and all of this mixed together, just, it makes it for like a less, it's part of the unbundling process, but it just makes it a less fun experience as a consumer. Like it's, it's, it's more headache than it is anything else. So I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. I, I could rant about this all day. So, uh, Lufthansa group adding a three fifty one thousands, 10 of them, and then they're yep. getting five more dash nine hundreds and then seven, uh, seven eighty seven dash nines. Yep. So this came, this news came out also was sort of 
in the flow of news this week, they also had their annual meeting. There's a whole bunch going on. So that was finally approved. Um, deliveries from the middle of the decade. Okay. They are going to... What's that? And a, cu- a couple of years off. Yeah. Starting in a few years here, but it's going to align with retirement of the 747-400s. The A340s, both the 300 and 600s are really finally going to go away this time. <laughs> uh, the 330-200s are going away. And then they also mentioned 763 and 772s going away, which is interesting, uh, mostly because those two types are flown by Austrian. Okay. If I remember correctly. Yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, 744 is only on Lufty. 340s is Lufty and Swiss. Yep. I'm not sure who still has the 33-200s. I think that's Lufthansa. I think Swiss is dash 300. Yeah. So it's an interesting one, but um, they did confirm that the 1000s will be used in the premium heavy configurations uh, and we'll have a first class cabin on board. Okay. So that historically they've used the 748 for most of their premium stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a more premium configuration than the 380 for the sort of super jumbos. And it sounds like it's what the 346 has F on it, so the 1000s replace that. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see which which and how and where they go, but uh, expect those to have first-class cabins. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see it, well, for the 340s too, right, on Swiss? Because those have F. Yeah, you could replace both sets of 340s. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think that's probably where they end up. It's it's it's, it's interesting to me because, like, the 350 1000s, right, don't have, like, a ton more range, right? So it's not yeah. like... They're not. They're not expanding their routes. They're literally doing some plane-to-plane replacements here to to try and keep the experience the same or similar. And up yeah. fleet modernization, more fuel yeah. efficient, blah blah yeah. blah, all the shit. Um, the nine hundreds. Uh, that one. That's what's interesting. I think the seven eight seven dash nines all go to Austrian. That's my guess. You think Austrian just standardizes on the seven eight seven and gets rid of the big small. I think I think so. I mean, there's demand though. That's the only thing that's throwing me off is the yeah. 772s. There is demand for those planes every now and then. Yeah, they can fill them up on some of the bigger trunk routes. But yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, and I guess we also got to look at the dots in Brussels, right? Brussels have some of these too, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, but uh, I wonder if they're the ones with the 332s. That's that's actually an interesting. The ones I'm looking up right now. Yeah. Um. While you're looking that up, I'll mention Boeing did not go entirely wanting this past week for orders either. Uh, Lux Air out of Luxembourg, mm-hmm. signed for four Max 8s, and Greater Bay out of Hong Kong, mm-hmm. signed for a bunch of Max 8s, and there's like somewhere between 15 and 20, I don't remember, as well as a handful of 787s. They want to start mainland China to Hong Kong and then onward to the rest of the world surface. So oh. using that Hong Kong hub. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't look like it doesn't look like Lufthansa has three three twos anywhere in the group or no no well no one Lufthansa itself so I think it is Brussels Brussels is the one with three three twos okay so maybe let's go to seven eights and then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you split it between five seven eight or uh, eight three fifty nine hundreds with Austrian and some seven eighty sevens but are you really gaining anything I don't know that's it's a weird one yeah. Um, what else we got? Uh, so Great Bay. Oh, tell me more about Great Bay, though. So they're wanting. Where are they based? They're Hong Kong. I've never heard of them. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> doing a good job of that. They they launched like right at the beginning of the pandemic, and they're still in business somehow. So well, it's it's impressive. We'll talk about the Czech Airlines and the bonus topics for airlines we didn't know didn't really exist anymore. <laughs> um, North London is expanding their U.S. service. 
So that's I mean North Atlantic is the airline. They're expanding out of London. I should type my notes better, sorry. Um this is the most definitely not Norwegian Airlines long haul. That's using all the same seven eighty sevens that Norwegian did and basically rebuilding the the route map almost exactly like Norwegian did. Yeah. So this summer they will offer seven, three, four, five, yeah, seven different or this summer six and then the fall they had a seven transatlantic market from london so jfk orlando and los angeles will all be daily fort lauderdale dulles san francisco come in during the summer between three and five per week and then boston gets added in september right right at labor day so i'm super excited to have an option for cheap off-peak tickets to london this yeah. coming winter next winter what uh, what kind of planes are they they just seven eights. Seven eights, okay. Is the is the pitch and everything just as bad as what it was in Norwegian? Um, yeah. Which is to say, the premium economy is actually a decent premium economy product. Okay. Uh, the economy is fine. It's not great. It's thirty one. I mean, they had screens, they had Wi Fi, which I think they still do. It's it's not terrible, but it's it is a long haul LCC. The food, I haven't tried it on Norse, and I should be careful what I say here, but. The food on Norwegian was abysmal. Okay. And and they don't have any business. It's all premium economy. Premium economy is the best to get. Yeah. I know. And it wasn't good in premium economy either. The food wasn't. Uh, it was better, but... <laughs> it's, a, it's a stretch to say it was good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think... Yeah, I think it's good to have all this. It's interesting to me that there's only one West Coast... Or I guess there's two West Coast routes because there's San Francisco as well. Um, so LA, San Francisco, I mean, they're really hitting the big markets... Fort Lauderdale's kind of weird. I mean, I get it from a British tourist standpoint. You get into South Florida. I mean, right, this is... They're literally playing the Norwegian playbook all over again with better lease rates on airplanes. Yeah. Essentially. Um, And we'll see. And and maybe without quite as much crazy expansion, they're they're not quite as uh, aggressive on the continental Europe, right? Mm -hmm. Norwegian also had bases in Rome and Paris and Barcelona, uh... I think Rome, uh, Paris is definitely coming back with Norwegian, or excuse me, with Norse, but uh, not quite as aggressively. So what do they fly into Europe? Is it just 737s? Nothing. So how does that work? You fly from Europe to the United States. Okay. If you're not in one of the gateways, you don't use them. I mean, I thought that was what Norwegian had going for them, was that they had... Uh, in being... theory, that, right, that Norwegian, the original version of Norwegian was short haul, and then they added the long haul with connecting feed. Norse does not have that connecting feed. So, yes, that is a challenge. Uh, but certainly out of London, the hope is that you can fill those planes up with cheap holiday travel traffic and not worry about the feed. Yeah. Not having to deal with connections, not having to deal with pricing on connections certainly makes operations a ton easier. Yep. But not, having to, not having to deal with misconnects. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, pricing gets way more complex the minute you start having connecting itineraries because now you have to decide am i going to sell am i going to hold this seat for a standalone ticket or will i sell it at a discount that for a connecting passenger and things like that yeah 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 that makes sense um let's talk about delta uh their pilots approved their contract the, the negotiate yep. contract um and now the pilot the uh flight attendants for aa are looking to go into mediation and the aa pilots are boasting they won't accept the same as delta so yeah it's like seventy-eight percent of Delta pilots voted in favor of the agreement, which is a solid turnout. Yep. Um, 
or solid, you know, endorsement, I guess. Uh, I have talked to a few pilots and understand some of the reasons some voted no, but okay, fine. Uh, yeah, the AA stuff is interesting, right? And AA is one of all of the other airlines basically have something going on right now. Yeah. It feels like uh, Southwest is also like working towards their pilots are routinely showing up at sort of corporate events and then walking out as management is speaking um, to demonstrate their dissatisfaction. There's a lot of different stuff going on uh, in union world these days and contract world these days. So, but yeah, the AA flight attendants have now asked for mediation. They say they're moving in the right direction, but want a federal mediator to help complete the contract work. I think the AA pilots are nowhere close, but that whole, uh, we won't accept just the same. We want to, our contracts certainly we, you know, we deserve better, uh, is an interesting angle. Yeah. Like what, what exactly do you, I, I don't know. It's a, is it weird. just dollars? Is it work life rules? Uh, Delta has a me too clause. So if American gets more money, then Delta gets more money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that adds sort of funky bits to it as well. Oh boy. This is going to be a long summer. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not looking forward to that. Um, and then Porter is planning to build a new terminal uh, across the river in Montreal. I can't remember who this was. That Was this Henry that, that broke this news uh, about Porter? I can't remember. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, they put out a release about it, too. So okay. it, it did come out. But St. Hubert, help, I think, is the yeah. airport. It's basically a tiny general aviation, mostly operation. They call it on the south side of the river. It looks east to me, but sure. Uh, on the other side of the St. Lawrence sort of in the middle of a residential, semi-residential, semi-industrial neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But it's got a long enough runway that when they bring their E-195, E-2s in, they can make Transcon from there. So they'll do Vancouver to Montreal from there. Um, they're planning nine gates. Uh, they say much lower cost than going out of Trudeau and also much faster to get through. Yeah. Right? Fewer passengers, shorter security lines, less chaos, etc. And I, I mean, I never thought of Trudeau as being chaotic. I mean, I guess it can be, but yeah, it's mostly just uh, annoying to get to. <laughs> well, so that's an interesting point, right? Like, it's a little annoying to get to, but at least there's the buses from downtown. Yeah. This other one, like, you go, you cross the river, you're on a highway, and then you're back on, like, surface streets. Yeah, there's the REM or the, you know, like the regional rail, but it's nowhere... It's not, or and there's an oxy or oxo or something. It's just not. Mm-hmm. It's not quite close enough. There's stations near there, but not there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, no transit options. Um, they they're putting it arguably at the best location on the airport grounds for a commercial terminal, mm-hmm. but still not connected necessarily. Um, and then, yes, there's residential over there, but it's. Less dense and less, uh, I think the sort of, uh, what's the income, whatever the per capita, what all those fun numbers that you look at, it's a slightly lower end, uh, group. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see, you know, they're, they're also talking about 4 million passengers a year, which if you sort of back out the math of what that means, it's maybe 30 to 40 departures per day yeah. based on the size of the planes. Yeah. So they're not looking to make a huge operation there versus, you know, 200 at Trudeau. I mean, I get it. Kind of. I think what's weird is Mirabella, <coughs> excuse me, is still out there. <coughs> yeah, uh, they, knocked down the, they knocked down the passenger terminal, didn't they? Yeah, they finally knocked down the passenger terminal. Um, I mean, Mirabelle's a lot further. 
Yeah, I was say, yeah, Mirabelle, that's the other thing I'd bring up is Mirabelle is like an hour out of town, it feels like. Yes, it, it is, is not close. It's downtown or yeah. right across the river there, but. Yeah, not close, and they've knocked down the terminal completely. I don't think all the taxiways are connected anymore. It's, yeah, it's not. Yeah, Mirabelle's done. But yeah. that isn't a good, it is a good example of, we can build an alternate airport in Montreal, and it just did not work. Yes, and and you now have this other airport, and people probably didn't expect to get commercial service out there. So I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of torn on it. It's funny. It's the actually where the Canadian Space Agency, the Saint Hubert, is next to the Canadian Space Agency. Yeah, the terminal and the terminals will be right across the street on that corner. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's it's cool. I think it's good for Porter. And I think didn't they say? Uh, Flair or some of the others are also going to be in potentially. So the in rendering showed Flair and WestJet there. Yeah, they said they will make it open to other airlines. I don't think anyone has, else has committed yet. Mm-hmm. But Porter's driving the you know development. It's you know Porter's a light is likening it to Billy Bishop in downtown Toronto, and it's not. No, but it'll be interesting to see if they can get something close to that. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I still don't understand the South River part. I, you know, <laughs> left bank, right bank. I don't know. It's apparently how they describe it there. It's so, so, so Foz will give me. I mean, he always gives me crap about the Bay Area and South Bay and East Bay, whatever. So I feel like this is the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, Korean and Asiana merger has been approved by the UK. What? So every like a lot of regulatory groups, a lot of countries have to approve it. This is just one along the way. The UK has agreed to allow the merger to proceed so long as Korean provides slots at both Heathrow and Incheon for Virgin Atlantic to run flights to Korea. Okay. They have to provide slots for one day, one X daily service uh, in the market. Okay. Yeah. So that means they have to give up one of the Asiana slots. At- Basically. Yeah. Okay, I mean that makes sense. Uh, is this? Do you think this is going to go through? I mean, this seems like this process has been going on forever. Yeah, um, I would imagine that other countries are similarly going to want other slots seated. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see how that goes. Like, I could imagine the U.S. doing something similar, except all the U.S. airlines that could fly to Seoul have slots at Seoul. I mean, I take that back. What if Northern Pacific demanded slots in Seoul? <laughs> For increased competition, how fun would that be? Uh, I, now, now, don't give him ideas. Oh, I think I'm going to send him an email. This would be a great conversation. Oh, God. You're literally poking the bear. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sharp missed that. It'll be great. Oh, man. Um, and then Universal Hydrogen. I think this is the topic you really were interested in. Universal Hydrogen goes flying. A Dash 8 uh, has flown with hydrogen, and I think uh, some ATRs are on the way with the same technology. Yeah, this this is actually super cool. So they took a, I don't remember which model it is. It's one of the forty seaters, so um, two hundred maybe or three hundred. Yeah, know. I think so. Uh, but they have been working to put the hydrogen electric drivetrain on the aircraft. Uh, they put one up in the air. It went flying last week. It did a you know a few loops over Moses Lake out in Washington, and the test pilot said on the second circuit over the airport. Things felt stable and whatever, and so they throttled the traditional fuel engine back to neutral mm-hmm. and flew on a single engine using the hydrogen power. Wow! So, really cool. Um, you know the the acceleration of hydrogen as an alternate fuel option for aircraft is very much happening. 
just I, I, I like hydrogen. Um, Comes with some challenges. Yeah, I think of this Hindenburg. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of challenges around it. One of them is how do you get green hydrogen as opposed to or blue or or yeah. yeah. And so, right, yeah. that's just how much what what the energy cost to extract it is. Um, and they're working on that. The one of the interesting things about universal hydrogen is that it has developed not only the sort of integrated drivetrain engine, and they're using parts from different partners, right? So they didn't build all this themselves, but they're sort of like an integration partner, um, an implementation part, you know, of all this stuff. They're also working on the fuel distribution. Yep. So they've come up with a way to basically package the hydrogen in what is essentially a cargo pallet or a cargo box. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so rather than fueling the plane by, you know, filling the wings with kerosene, you pop one of these modules or two, however many is required, into a bay. It, it has the weight and the whatever, the balance, all that other fun stuff sorted out. And you basically pop one of these in, hook it up, you know, connect the valves or whatever. And it's quick and easy. It is sort mm. of very much a turnkey operation. And Universal Hydrogen is handling most of the ground service requirements for filling these, rotating them out at, the, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I, I liken it to when you want it, you need to refill your propane tank for your grill and you go to the blue rhino, yeah, yeah. right. Or whatever it's called in your region of the country. But I imagine it's that because they're pretty much everywhere. You yep. just swap a tank out and it's quick and easy. You don't have to worry about someone hooking it up and they handle all that stuff in the back end. It's the same idea, but with hydrogen for running airplanes. Yeah. And I, I mean, hydrogen has a much higher energy output or content, I guess, per unit. Yeah. So you don't need as much to get the same capabilities, which yeah. is which is good. Um, the other, I, I think it, it, the challenge has always been the tanks, right? Because they waste if you if you pressurize it, it the tanks waste yeah. more because they have to be able and to stand up. The other thing about uh, universal hydrogen, if I understood it correctly, is they're not hydrogen electric fuel cells, mm. where it's they're stri- they're actually converting. They're not storing it in a battery along the way. It's gotcha. a direct. It is a direct uh, conversion. From the hydrogen to the electricity to burn to make the engine spin or make the motor spin. And the output is water. Yeah. So this is very cool. I mean, we'll have to see when they get, uh, <clears throat> yeah, when, when they get, cl- they, they're on the path towards real certification. They obviously got to get it to both engines and get the right number of passengers on board. But I, I would be interested to see as they, as they kind of go down this route, what kind of distances they're looking at. I mean, are they focused solely on kind of these propeller short haul? type planes. I'm sure this could be used in a jet engine as well. I mean, those are turboprops, so it's, it's theoretically the same. Yeah, I mean, it, mechanically, I think the same concepts hold. I think from a energy capacity and complexity and whatnot, they are focused on the props right now. Yeah, and I and so I would be interested in, like, what are they going to do? Are they going to go after potentially some of the private or smaller carriers where this could make a big impact on bottom line, right? Like, I'm thinking of, like, Boutique Air or, like, Denver Air Connection yeah, uh, some, some of these smaller carriers where they're, they're not flying long haul hops, um, that maybe one hour, two hour flights. Um, I think one of the challenges there is if the plane gets too small, it doesn't mm-hmm. work because you need you need the scale to hold the hydrogen. Uh, I got you. Yep. But um, they, they are their goal is and their first couple of customers connect airways, which is uh, the folks trying to start up service to Toronto, Billy Bishop on mm-hmm. ATRs from the northeast has a standing order for a bunch of these. They want to convert either ATRs or Dash 8. I think they had 300s lined up. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. 
the Q400, Alaska Airlines, before it retired as Q400, announced a plan to sort of try to pursue this as well. So um, who knows what's happening there? But I think there's a sweet spot in the size of the aircraft to be able to hold the tank. Yeah. And still fly the hour or two. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, Air Canada, I, if, I, if I was with this marketing group, I'd be going to Air Canada and talking to yeah. them because they're heavily using the Q4s on the West Coast, like in random places, like yeah. up in, in BC mostly, but kind of everywhere. Absolutely. So. I mean, WestJet's got a fleet out West too, don't they? Yep. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So. They've kind of they've kind of dwindled it. I, I wouldn't say dwindled it. They've, they haven't pushed it as far, I think, as Air Canada has. Like Air Canada... Okay. Yeah. I mean, they they were flying Portland to Calgary, WestJet was, um, which I find that's just a little too long for me in a Q4 uh, with 70, you know, 70 odd people in it. But yeah, we'll see. Um, Freetown, uh, Sierra Leone, it has a new international terminal. It's pretty. Yeah. OK. Um, <laughs> Are you going to be going to Sierra Leone anytime soon? I'm not. Uh, the main <laughs> reason I mention this is that, A, interesting, right? The government is investing in it. They put in some serious cash to, you know build this lovely nice facility um what i really found interesting is in the press release they mentioned the next step to establish or re-establish more international service is to build a sufficiently nice hotel because right now there's no hotel near the airport nice enough for international airlines to put crew well i mean if that's what's holding you back yeah it could be that could be a problem uh and i I would assume that's not the only thing holding them back, but <laughs> uh, where is? I'm trying to figure, find it on a map. Where is this airport? I mean, it's the same airport that they've had since like the 60s, if not longer. I'm guessing it's way, I'm guessing it's way out of the air, way out of the way somewhere. But no, oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, the airport, the, just the airport hotel bit not being nice enough for flight crews, I thought was really amusing. Yeah, that is that is very Hastings Airport. Oh no, it is up north. Okay, it's not where I thought. Okay, yeah, it is out. I mean, it's out there. Um, and if there's no, so they built a new terminal. And if there's no, uh, no hotels. Okay. Anyway, um, let's talk about the lawsuit for Skipple slot cuts. So, the government there said they wanted to reduce emissions and reduce noise, and they're going to do that by removing 10% or 12% of the flight operations at the airport. Yep. Uh, KLM is obviously upset about that because, you know, it's their hub and they would like to continue to still be in business and they would be the most impacted by these cuts. Delta has joined them in filing a lawsuit basically saying that they've, uh, that the government has not followed its obligations relative to various international treaties. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Open Skies Treaty that required, if they're going to change, they have to consult with the airlines and consider other things. And then, you know, cutting operations is their last resort, essentially. Um, they're basically saying they didn't do any of the first steps, so they can't do the last step. Oops. It's, it's kind of bold to just say we're going to sue the government over this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, JetBlue is trying to not quite sue, but has asked the DOT, we talked about this a few weeks ago, to file has filed a complaint with the U.S. DOT asking them to intervene to get more slots and forced Kalen to give them some slots. So it, it's in part driven by this, right? Because slots are being removed from yep. service, the authorities in Amsterdam at Schiphol, or the slot coordinator that handles Schiphol, which is not directly the airport, uh, won't issue JetBlue new entrant slots because there are none to issue because the total number of slots has to be cut. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot riding on how this plays out. 
I yeah, I uh I'll I wonder how the government's gonna handle this because if they if they flat out say uh nope, the slots need to be cut, then the recourse for Delta and KLM is well we'll just cut we'll cut intra European routes, potentially. Um which is which isn't great. I mean the the less throughput at the airport isn't good. Right? Yeah. I mean you certainly it's much harder to run a hub when you have to Remove a bunch of your flights, or do they, or do they kill off uh, and and send things to Paris since Paris doesn't have these same restrictions? Like, do they does Delta say, okay, well, we'll connect on Air France more? I'm sure some of that will happen, but uh, this year there's been a big push toward for Delta has pushed a bunch more traffic over to Amsterdam um, rather than France, uh, rather than Paris, as it's sort of restoring its service. So yeah. Yeah, fun times again. Going to be a long summer. Uh, well, this, at least this one doesn't take effect until not this summer. I don't remember exactly when, but it's not okay, this okay. Uh, and then we had a listener question from Andrew. It's not really a question. It's kind of just a. Uh, I guess he, he, he at wants, the end. Yeah, he wants to give an opinion, or he wants to ask our opinion uh, on some of the fees uh, attached to an offer uh, he received from uh, Budget for a rental car. Um, and he's wondering how many folks actually read the small print and push back on these things. Um, so the, 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 the line is from, from budget, the savings of up to 30% applies to budget base rates and is applicable only to the time and mileage charges of the rental. All taxes, fees, including but not limited to air conditioning, excise recovery fee, concession recovery fee, vehicle license recovery fee, energy recovery fee, tire management fee, frequent traveler program fee, and surcharges, uh, including but not limited to the customer facility charge, environmental fee recovery charge are extra. Rentals must be completed by May thirty first, twenty twenty three. Um, that's a lot of fees, Stephen. It's a that is a lot of fees. Uh, I mean, I have noticed this on rental cars. You get quoted a price, and then you click through, and it's like fifty dollars more than what you originally thought you were going to pay. Um, and it's because of these fees. It's getting close to this with hotels too. What yeah, I mean, the, the resort fee, destination fee, whatever at hotels has become absurd. Yep. Um, this one, I mean. What I would say is this is normal for rental cars. Yeah. Sorry, Andrew. Um, doesn't make it any better. But when you see the sort of breakdown of all the fees and everything, and right, that my favorite is that most of those, t- most of the time, the reason rental cars get hit with all these taxes and fees is that it's visitors. Yeah. And so a city wants to build a new stadium or whatever, it uses hotel and rental car fees and surcharges to do so because the locals are willing to approve those taxes much more than they're willing to pay them directly themselves. Yep. And that's usually where a lot of these come in. Um, my, I also, though, can't help but laugh when you both a hotel resort fee that includes the free Wi-Fi. <laughs> well, it's not free if I'm paying a separate dollar per night for it, even if you're bundling other stuff in. Yep. Um, similarly, the free shuttle to your rental car pickup doesn't count as free when it's an explicit line item in your invoice like and it often is the concession recovery charge or transportation airport or concession fee sort of things like sometimes they actually include a line item that is basically the shuttle ban which is ridiculous because how else am i going to get there right like also that (laughs) i've walked to the abus at lax before it's not a good idea no at most airports, like the one at Love Field, I wouldn't, I wouldn't walk. It's like four miles. Like, no thanks. Vegas, um, Vegas is super far away. Yeah, Vegas, Vegas, not even near the airport. Like, anyway, 
Uh, I think the funniest one to me is the air conditioning excise recovery fee. Yeah, that's, I've never heard of that one before. But <laughs> clearly someone's got a environmental something something where they're charging extra for the fact that you're using Freon. I don't know. And, and the tire management fee is hilarious because I had a rental recently uh, where it the t- I got a car with a nail in the tire. I wasn't losing air. It was just that I could see the nail. And I told them and they're like, oh, well, just bring it back in. I was like, well, I don't want a different car. Can you just patch like, I don't want to go through the whole rigmarole. Yeah. Can you just patch it? No, no, we can't do it. We have to, like, I'm like, I guess this is what that fee pays for. Yeah. And <laughs> tire disposal also. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of that um, because in a lot of places you pay to get rid of tires. So yep. that, that a tire fee has been around for a long time. Yeah. Yep. The customer facility charge, uh, that's the airport charging yeah. that more than likely because they forced it off prem or whatever. So, yeah. You're, yeah. Anyway. I mean, isn't it funny? I mean, just like talk, since we're both like technology focused in, in technology focused industries, isn't it funny? Like a lot of this kind of lines up with how much it costs to like put a, put a service in the cloud. Like all, like the cost when you like do the actual cost breakdown, you're like, oh, I've got to have like, a, there's a server somewhere for right. the cloud. I got to pay for that. I got to pay a fee for that. And it's like, well, did I really make, you got your server facility fee, your bandwidth in and out facility, fee, <laughs> yeah. your storage fee, your backup <laughs> fee. Yeah. It kind of lines up, right? Kind of lines up. Load balancing <laughs> fee. We call that time management. Um, uh, content delivery fee. Yeah. yeah. Air, air conditioning. Actually, that's one where air conditioning makes more sense. <laughs> Solar panel management fee. Uh, yeah, whatever. So, uh, well, thanks, Andrew, for the question or the comment. I think it's great. Go, go. One other thing I want to throw in here I forgot earlier. Um, came up uh, Sunday morning on Twitter. United Airlines is now, the as of March, by... As filed by ASMs, available seat miles, is mm-hmm. now the largest carrier in, in the world again. Oh, good for them. They have, they have passed American Airlines in terms of ASMs. Well, I mean, American will just add a few more domestic flights. Ironically, that's why Americans' ASMs are shrink, are not growing as quickly. Their recovery, <laughs> their recovery is mostly domestic, whereas United, and then even in, uh, that was for March, for April, Delta passes American as well. And for the whole of Q2... America, it goes United Delta American as currently filed, subject to change. Things will change. We know that. Um, but if you look at flights longer than 3,000 miles, the long haul stuff, yeah, United has way more flights than Delta and American. It's the Delta United's long haul recovery is coming back with a vengeance, and that's pushing them back into the top spot. Yeah. I mean, it, they're pulling, I mean, they're still pulling planes out of the desert, right? I think that someone said they pulled the 752 out again. Um, really? The desert. Yeah. I, I can't, I'll have to find it. So, I mean, United's doing a lot. It's, yeah, I, I guess they're desperate. <laughs> so, um, anyway, that's yeah. an interesting little nugget. I thought. It is. It is. We're going to talk a little bit more about United and some greenwashing. Uh, Vistara, we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about Bavarian Airlines um, and uh, CSA, uh, Czech Airlines. So, we'll talk about that in the bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers. For everybody else, thanks for listening. We appreciate you taking part in the show. Uh, leave us a comment. Tweet us. Uh, we, we, like, we do like to hear from you. So let us know what you want us to talk about. And thanks for listening. Happy travels. Take care.